Hello, my name is James Pikeway, and I'm the host of Creative Mornings right here in Dubai, and this is the Creative Mornings Dubai podcast. The theme of this month's talk was tradition, and we had Maha Al-Khalawi joining us. Maha is an extraordinary designer, entrepreneur, and ultimately a creative. I would call her a creativepreneur. This month, she shared with us how tradition has informed her career and taken her in many interesting directions. And the takeaway, ultimately, is just do it. You're going to love this talk. Creative Mornings Dubai happens because of a great group of partners, the nest where we hold our events, Interfight, who takes our photos, Nexa, who does our video, and Sajori, who helps support our speakers with gifts at the end. We're supported globally by Adobe, MailChimp, and WordPress.com, and of course, Creative Mornings HQ. Without further ado, let me welcome Maha. Um, by the way, for any of you in the back, if you're feeling crammed, there's a few empty seats over here, like two people can always move up if they want to. Um, first of all, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Hi. Um, as you guys know, the topic is tradition. We're all settled down. Okay, so I know we already had an icebreaker, but here's another thing to kind of generate a little bit of thought around the topic. Before we jump into our topic completely, I, before I even influence you with any kind of uh, information, um, I want you to kind of take a moment to reflect about how traditional are you as a person, as a human being, okay? What kind of traditions have influenced you growing up? What were you taught? And maybe take a, we're gonna give a minute for you to speak to the person next to you, or if you guys wanna, if you're limited like as three people, you can always talk as three people as well, and kind of say, what is your favorite personal tradition, family tradition, something you really love, and why? Okay, so go ahead, just take a few minutes to talk about that and discuss it with each other and see, We'll see what you guys come up with. How's it going? So since you weren't here for the warm-up, I'm going to call you up. <laughs> All right. So I, I spoke about uh, this family tradition related to Eid. Once a year, there is this cuisine that we always have once a year. We only have it that time of the year. Yeah. And it brings everybody together. What is it? It's, um, it's an Indonesian dish, rice cake with uh, lamb curry. OK. Um, so how many other people's should by show of hands, how many people had food related to their tradition? <laughs> okay, yeah, I see quite a few. Okay, so I just wanted to want you to to reflect how did this make you feel? What kind of feelings thinking about that specific tradition ha uh, came up, okay? Moving on, um, about myself a little bit. Um, if you've been uh, informed about this talk, I think you already know my name. My name is Maha. Um, I'm bicultural, so my mom is half uh, Croatian, half German. She grew up in the U.S., uh, carried a lot of her German heritage with her. And my father is Saudi, but even his parents are from different parts of Saudi Arabia. So then uh, I don't know how much you know about the country, but it's quite big. So it really varies in culture depending on where you're from. Um, that being said, I wound up... Um, marrying a half Dane, half Turk, so that just adds a little bit more of a, a confusion to the mix, okay? And um, I'm a 
multi I like to call myself a multidisciplinary designer simply because I don't like to commit to anything. Um, I started out as a graphic designer, went into a lot of branding and brand strategy, and then later on uh, moved on, shifted lanes, so to speak, and went into service design. So I work currently as a service design consultant in um, EY Saren, which is a, an acquired company by Ernst & Young. Enough about me. Let's go back to our topic. So this is kind of like the base of what we're talking about. What is tradition? Okay, um, and in order to get a firm grasp, a grasp on the thought, I figured, okay, I'll go to the dictionary. So it's the handing down of statements, beliefs, legends, customs, information, etc., from generation to generation, especially by word of mouth or practice. Basically, in basic English, it's what your parents and grandparents have taught you, and what you're probably going to teach your children and grandchildren. It's something that you care about enough to pass on, but. And here's the thing, the emphasis over here is passing it on from generation to generation. And why? Why would somebody do this? What is the purpose of a tradition? Okay, so you have things like skills and knowledge, um, how to make specific artifacts or art pieces like weaving is very traditional in many cultures, especially when it comes to storytelling in countries like Afghanistan or Iran. And then you have serving a purpose. So one of the ones that I found really interesting is in our, in, in a lot of the Middle Eastern cultures, but I'm gonna speak specifically about mine, um, is after a woman gives birth, she traditionally moves back in with her family for about 40 days. And I used to, growing up, I used to always think, that's so stupid, like why would somebody leave her husband and go live with her parents for a month, you know? And sometimes the husband would come move in with her, but sometimes he can't do the work and other purposes. But then I realized growing up later on that a lot of women go through postpartum depression. And this, I think, even before identifying that there's something <laughs> called depression, especially after giving birth when the hormones all over the place, or especially for new moms, they don't know really what to do. And this, is, this was, I think, society and culture's way of adapting and finding a way to kind of give the mother, the new mother, as much support as possible. Um, religious reasons, so you, we have all kinds of um, uh, rituals, habits, stories, traditions that are passed on. I'm not going to get into that because that's like a whole other ballgame. And then we have a sense of belonging, things that make you feel close to each other as a community, whether it's dances, folklore dances, or uh, poetry, things like that. Um, financial reasons, dowries, inheritance, um, the way different cultures deal with these things, and uh, maintaining the status quo, which, for example, the area where my um, Saudi grandmother came from, they would not let a woman inherit land because it would go to her children, which are probably married to a man with another family name, which means that land, which is the most precious thing to them, would be passed down to somebody from a different family, so to, so to speak. And even though religiously that's wrong, that's an instance of where tradition trumps religion, even. Um, another quick thing, habit versus tradition. What's the difference? Habits are what a person does on a day-to-day -day basis, what normally linked to an individual or a smaller group. Tradition implies a longer period of time, generations, and the larger group of people. 
So ideally a community, sometimes a family, but then you'd have to go through multiple generations. And <laughs> that's the end of our academic part. <laughs> now we get into the fun part. So I, I, I wanted to think about instances in our day-to-day -day life where tradition really kicks in, you know, and no matter how modern we think we are, chances are this is where there's going to be some sort of, um, I'm not going to say conflict, but this is where it kicks in and from, from my observation, is this is where it really, really, um, suddenly, no matter how untraditional you think you are, you realize there are some traditions that suddenly matter to you, and that's normally when it comes to the idea of marriage. Parents get involved, emotions are high, um, especially in this day and age, because I'm speaking about a place like Dubai, or even anywhere around the world, I think, these days. People are intermarrying with different cultures, sometimes even different religions, and all these things come up when you start setting up the wedding, and it's kind of like a setup for what the rest of your life is going to be, really, because what are the traditions and things that matter to you? And what are the ones that you're willing to compromise on, to mesh, to turn into a hybrid? And uh, I feel like marriages are one of those displays where everybody wants to kind of become more traditional. I'll give you an example in my sense. I've never thought of myself as very traditional. But uh, when it came to my time getting married, all of a sudden I wanted my husband to take his mom and go propose to my dad <laughs> in a very traditional manner. And he was like, what? No. <laughs> He's like, yeah, well, I mean, we can discuss it with your dad, but I'm not going to go for like an official proposal and go be like, we want to have your daughter's hand in marriage. No, that's not happening, you know? Um, so. Some other examples in my observation of when traditions clash, especially when it comes to the topic of marriage. And I'm going to go geographically from something really large. So I gave you an example of like Western, Middle Eastern uh, kind of marriage. But then when you move in, what I found really interesting is the smaller geographically you go, at least when it comes to this part of the world and to the Middle East, the more, the more um, set people are and probably a little bit less willing to compromise. Surprisingly, you would think that geographically, if you're closer to each other, there'd be more in common, and therefore, <laughs> there's more that you're willing to, to overlap. But for an uh, as a quick example, um, I have a friend of mine who's from Saudi Arabia as well, um, marrying somebody from the Levant region. And all of a sudden, when uh, they got engaged, they discovered all these traditions that they were supposed to adhere to on both sides, uh, both sides, and, and even like I noticed her mom was going around asking older people in the family, what is the tradition when it comes to this? So you don't even know what the tradition is, but all of a sudden you want to stick to it because it's yours. And you're kind of going head to head with your potential new in-laws because you don't want to, uh, you want to seem like you have your own way of doing things and you need to do them. So I found that really interesting because they didn't know what the tradition was, and they went and they asked about it, and then they still insisted on kind of implementing it, especially when it comes to who pays for what. That's a big one, <laughs> you know? <laughs> who pays for the engagement party? Is there a party afterwards? You know, and then uh, we have something called a milka, or which is also in the Levant called Kat Biktab. For us, traditionally, you do it like months before the wedding, because then that's the time where you're legally married and you can set up your home together. Whereas in the Levant, you do it like a few days before your wedding and then you just get married and move in. So it's that kind of small differences 
that all of a sudden become huge ones. Um, coming even closer, a cousin of mine married a girl in Saudi Arabia, also another Saudi, different tribe. Their tribe apparently has a tradition where the groom not only brings a dowry to the bride, but also has to buy gold jewelry for her mother and all her maternal aunts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're just like, oh, that can get a bit expensive, you know? So, but normally, I mean, I would say, uh, who do you think normally wins these arguments? Probably the bride and her family. <laughs> Sorry. But uh, um, in the end, from what I've been observing through these decades of observation, obviously, um, I realize nobody really knows. A lot of times when it comes to tradition, when you wind up in this situation, people go around and they ask, what is it that we're supposed to do in this situation? Uh, especially when it comes to something like marriage. But especially in a bicultural uh, or multicultural family, this is always an opportunity for better communication. Um, my friend, I, when she was going through these problems, I was telling her, well, it's you marrying your husband. It's not about the extended family. Sit down, talk about it, and figure out what matters to you two and what you guys want to do. And it's, it's, it's an opportunity to kind of come out and figure out what matters to you, what matters to your partner or to your family member, and figure out what it is that you guys are willing to continue with. Um, and it's an opportunity for creativity. This is, creativity is creating something new. So if you're multicultural, then then maybe you can come up with a hybrid of something and you'll come up with your own tradition that your kids might be carrying down in the future and decide that this is what matters to them because it symbolizes the union of their own unique roots. And I think that's something to be proud of and it's not something to kind of um, avoid. But in the end, I think what raises the question is what really matters about tradition? And I would say that would be what is, I mean, the question that we would have to ask ourselves is, what is the purpose of that specific tradition? Whether it's a marriage tradition, whether it's a family tradition, whether it's a holiday, why did this start? Because traditions, generally speaking, we don't really know who started them, unless it's like your great-grandmother's recipe. That's another thing. <laughs> but what is the purpose of this tradition? Is it supposed to bring the family closer together? Is it supposed to create a sense of unity? Or like when we go back to or preserve a skill like we spoke of before. And, and that is really, I mean, we have to pay attention because are we, are we looking at our traditions and just copying them senselessly just because they're our traditions? Or are we practicing them because of the purpose that's behind them? And generally speaking, there is a core purpose a really good core, pur core purpose behind them that we're supposed to keep alive, and that is why you have that tradition. So I'm going to give you a few examples from my growing up. Um, you have Halloween, Western side, and then you have something <laughs> called Girgaan, or I think here in the UAE they call it Hagilela, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, normally Girgaan is like in the middle of the month of Ramadan, where kids go around house to house, dress, dress up traditionally, and collect candy. Halloween. You dress up in your favorite costume, and you also go collect candy. So there are some things in common. But um, growing up, it was Girgaan, and then now as an adult, I choose Halloween. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, again, you have what's coming up very soon, Christmas. 
Um, and in my home, it was always kind of a battle about, not a battle, but it was kind of a debate about whether as Muslims we should be celebrating Christmas or not. My mom grew up with Christmas. It's part of her family heritage. Um, obviously, my dad grew up with Eid. And uh, this, that dish that's in the picture actually is called Dibyaza. So it's a traditional dish that is normally eaten during Eid in the Hejaz region. It's, uh, it's made up of like nuts and uh, dried fruits and it's kind of created almost like a pudding. It could be, had, could be eaten warmer, warm or hot. So you have these things in common that you have these traditional dishes that are normally eaten once a year, like you mentioned, or around a certain time of the year as a part of a tradition. And these normally create a sense of family, of community. But I've been hearing a lot more and more recently, okay, that it's always kind of like a um, dilemma that we're facing uh, as Muslims, as Arabs, maybe as minorities in the West sometimes, is that especially younger children are, prefer Christmas to Eid. Okay, and it's not for any religious reason. It's simply because Christmas has a lot more hype around it. It has a lot more celebration around it. And ironically, some people will complain that it's a bit too commercialized. But there's an industry around it. There's a sense of community. There's a sense of unity even around the world. At this point, I can even risk saying that it's not a religious thing anymore. It's a celebration of friends and family and people coming together and exchanging gifts or eating meals. And that is really what, what I think people love about it. At the same time, you can say it's been over-commercialized in some instances, and that is why we go back again to the purpose or the core of a tradition. Is it supposed to create a sense of community? Is it supposed to show appreciation to the people you care about? Is it supposed to, um, I mean, in these, whether it's Eid or whether it's Christmas, and, and, and that's the thing, like, it's about the family getting together even traveling from place to place in order to be together during that time and showing appreciation for each other. So whatever it is that we do choose, it, or we can do both, there are different times of the year, I don't see any con conflict with that, but the idea is to kind of avoid the over-commercialization and really appreciate that tradition for what it is. That being said, back again to why younger children, especially in, in my friends, uh, generation and their children are preferring Christmas over Eid is because Eid has not been commercialized enough, ironically. You know, the traditions behind it are still traditions that are handed down and are uh, linked to uh, the kind of family related or religiously related, but not really commercial. And I, I personally feel this conflict between yeah, we should, there's a niche, we should promote it, we should start. This is new where they're coming up with Eid decorations. This is not traditional, it doesn't exist. Maybe 100 years down the line, it'll become a tradition, you know? But at the moment, as it is right now, Eid decorations, Eid envelopes are also new. It used to be just cash. And there's all these industries coming up in the region right now based on this, uh, based on this need. And this, this is where we kind of shift into the business thing. So there is a demand. And as a creative, as a designer, um, as any kind of entrepreneur, when you see a gap or when you see a lack, you kind of say, okay, there's a demand. Let's kind of create a supply over here. So in a cultural mosaic like Dubai, how do we leverage these traditions for creativity? Um, 
like I said, you find this niche. You realize that there's a gap. And my example over here has been the one about um, celebrating Eid or celebrating certain traditions. Um, about seven years, I think, down the ago, maybe even more, it was an idea that it was in my mind for years. I had realized that we didn't have greeting cards that addressed our traditions or our celebrations, even if it's something like having a baby. It was in English and it wasn't, uh, it didn't resonate with me. You know, it wasn't colloquial enough. It didn't mention the things that mattered. Um, so based on that, I started a company about five years ago called Hello Gala, um, which is an Arabic greeting card company. I would design, print, and distribute Arabic greeting cards to different boutiques. And uh, I'll admit to you guys right now, let's keep it just in this room. <laughs> I didn't do much marketing. I didn't do any marketing. Um, I maybe started an Instagram account. And uh, according to one of my friends, it was just like, it's a miracle they even have clients. You know, I didn't go and chase out clients. It was boutiques that would contact me and say, oh, we love your cards. We want to show them, we want to put them in our shop. And I was really surprised about that. I was like, okay, this is nice. I got lazy, you know. I just focused on the design. And these are some <laughs> samples of what I would do. So I would play with different, um, different sayings. For example, the little chick up here. Um, it's also, it's kind of like a Hijazi expression where you call a little baby a chick, you know. It means they're cute. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was just like, you know, مبروك الكتكوت الصغير. And uh, I would play on these, and I would play on these sayings and uh, to kind of build on that sense of community and build on that sense of belonging. And that was how I had built my niche. And I would also use colloquial expressions like ya habbilak or habbetak habbajnoon. They're not necessarily Saudi per se, they're kind of pan-Arab, but they, I wanted to build on that sense of, of um, colloquial sayings, of community, of, uh, the words that make us smile because we grew up with them that I had never seen on a card before. And that was my way of just reflecting my tradition and my culture. Um, another example over here, this is a friend of mine who um, decided to start a restaurant in Abu Dhabi. Very small restaurant, mostly delivery, but it's really cute, based on traditional Hijazi food as well, which is the western region of Saudi Arabia where my city Jeddah is in. And that uh, restaurant was supposed to be traditional food, kind of like a modern setting or a uh, simplified minimalist uh, setting. And the name was very simple, Akla. Akla just means a dish, you know? Uh, so she asked me to do the branding for her. And I came up with this because these, these uh, wooden pieces, which are made up of these pieces over here, are called uh, Roshana, and they're really traditional. I mean, they exist in Egypt, but they're also a part of our city, old city of Jeddah. And I wanted to build up on that and build a brand on that. So that is kind of, this is not the logo. This is just kind of like an illustration that was part of the logo. The logo is the one in the middle. And I built up on it also the placemats, and the placemats were fully um, verbal. So we had some, English translations because we wanted people to kind of learn about it. But then we had all the kind of different sayings. So every <laughs> section, uh, so there are repeated sections in every placemat. One is saying from our colloquial sayings. And it even explains in Arabic 
because Arabic is such a diverse language. It even explains in Arabic what this saying is for, because for me growing up, sometimes my, my great aunt would say these crazy things, and I'd just be like, what does that mean? You know? And, and I'd have to have somebody, my cousin probably, come and say, it means this, this, this. Yeah, and I was just like, okay, now I get it. Now I know in which instance I can say that, you know? Um, and, and they're known to be cheeky, kind of like what we told you during the icebreaker, that, that it's, it's, uh, there are sometimes outrageous, cheeky sayings. And that is kind of what the Hijazi culture is built on. That is what they're most famous for. It's just their crazy... Uh, and, and especially the older people in that generation, sometimes 90% of what they say is just quotes. It is really ridiculous at some point, but it's really interesting at the same time. Um, so those are kind of what I built the placemats on. So it's uh, colloquial sayings and then like local uh, words that need translation because they're so specific to sometimes even that city. Um, and then words and their meanings. And, and it's just kind of the whole brand identity is built on explaining what the Hijazi culture is. <coughs> so this is another like set of patterns also built on the whole Mashrabiya. So the, going back, yes, it's a restaurant. I didn't mention what the food was. We have, I always joke that Ful is Egyptian, Tamis is Afghani, Ful with Tamis is Saudi. <laughs> so we're the, ones, we're the ones who put it together, you know? But to us, they're inseparable. You can't have one without the other. Tamis is like this Afghani bread. It's really big and it's cooked in a, in a dome oven. So parting thoughts, how are we preserving, shaping, and changing future traditions? Whether it's in your personal life or whether it's in your career, it's really important to kind of, especially if you're living in a a uh, city like here, I think it's important to kind of understand what the traditions of the areas are, if only to avoid faux pas uh, and big mistakes. And uh, after this, I would like to thank you for listening. You're a great audience. Wow, fantastic. <laughs> Questions, comments, observations? Anyone want to jump in? This is a great opportunity. Yeah. Um, you just mentioned faux pas. What, from your perspective, is a common faux pas that you see in Dubai from maybe someone from the U.S. making um, that you could say, like, this is something that you should be aware of? Well, I'm not easily offended, <laughs> personally, you know, so I can't say that anything would really offend me. But some of the things that I've seen, uh, I'm not sure about over here. Uh, but it, yeah, it, actually it happened to me over here, ironically, it shouldn't have. But I think I thought because I'm in the UAE, the same rules as the region for some reason didn't apply. And it, something as basic as men and women shaking hands, you know, especially if, if you're approaching a local, normally I would wait for them to reach out to know if they're cool enough. But then sometimes it's also like they'll, be, they'll say something like, maybe they're waiting for me. So I've been working a lot also in Saudi in the past uh, few months, and it's one of those things where I'll just not even bother. You know, it's, 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 for me, it's better to err on the side of caution. So I won't even offer to shake hands with men because chances are 90% of the time, even if they would do it outside of the country, if somebody thought they weren't Saudi, chances are in an office setting, they won't. So that's like a simple one. Anyone else? Yeah. Actually, celebrate, he celebrates Christmas at the same time. 
but honestly I find it a bit like uh, awkward when I see like the Muslims here who are so against uh, who are really against uh, Christmas mm. why they believe in uh, they be, like they say it's a traditional thing like in the GCC we just can't celebrate Christmas well the Muslims that I see in Lebanon in the Levant area they celebrate Christmas normally you know like they put uh, they put trees even in our house, for example, as a Christian home here in the UAE, in Eid we still celebrate Eid and we invite people over and we like cook some traditional food. So I just like I don't get it. I don't understand it. Okay, so again, I'm gonna speak for Saudi, yeah. not for not for the UAE, but yeah, the the answer to your question is twofold. One side is the religious side. So growing up, especially throughout the 80s. We were, I was told at school growing up that celebrating any, anyone else's religious tradition is haram. So we weren't raised with an idea of, of inclusion. Here in the UAE, it's slightly different. Um, the other side is, I think, from what I've seen my current friends, even though they're quite liberal and they have no problem with celebrating Christmas, their problem is they feel that Eid is being neglected and under attack. So they feel like they need to choose. You know, uh, like for example, my one of my friends, she has a five-year-old daughter, and her five-year-old daughter is bartering with her grandparents, who are quite religious and Muslim, that if they won't bring a Christmas tree, she's not going to celebrate Eid with them. That's her blackmail, you know, and uh, yeah, and it's actually like a, a conflict that's happening within families because they're trying to find this happy medium. Whereas for me, it's like, oh yeah, let's celebrate both and go all out. You know, you can't have too many parties. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think, so like I said, it's partially a certain generation growing up told and indoctrinated with the fact that this is wrong and, or haram or you're not supposed to be celebrating other people's religious holidays. And then the other part is some people actually just feel that we don't have enough traditions and celebrations around Eid, so they feel like celebrating anything else would kind of be neglectful to that. Yeah? <laughs> My question to you, have you thought of any tradition that you liked, but not as it is, and you transformed it in a way that you liked it better? Not necessarily and, and, uh, anything else that has been going on in your life mm. uh, from either part of uh, your parents, but then you said, okay, I like this, but not exactly that, I'm going to play with it. <coughs> um, tough question, but... Um I would say that actually, like, so within my family, neither are that traditional in the sense like they didn't really feel like they needed to pass on anything specific. Uh, one thing, I will have to bring up Eid again simply because, uh, I mean, there's so many traditions built around Eid. And it goes back again to the topic of trying to kind of uh, create a stronger identity for our celebration of Eid over here is. We merged because we, we didn't grow up celebrating Christmas. My mom kind of started this tradition in our household that instead of giving cash ideas, which is their tradition during Eid, is you give cash gifts to children. My mom started a thing of exchanging gifts. So she kind of took the Christmas element of exchanging <laughs> gifts and put it into Eid. And that's kind of what we do in my family. Yeah, you do the same thing. <laughs> Yeah. Regarding the conflict when it's about the traditions, like I personally think, like from personal experiences, 
that it's about the mentality of the person, not about the country. Because, for example, my brother, mm. he's dating a girl that's Filipino, and they're planning on getting married. So obviously, they're, and we're Egyptian. So obviously, there's like a lot of cultural differences, but they don't have any conflicts, and they're, like they're managing to plan it out like very perfectly. Although I have seen other couples like from the same country, from Egypt, that fight so much over traditions and actually manage to break off the wedding because of that. Uh, communicating better and coming up with better opportunities of kind of meshing their traditions together, whereas people that are from the same country, but different tribes or different families are so stuck to their traditions are unwilling to change them. So it really is a matter of communication and uh, looking at it as an opportunity to get creative. Exactly. Exactly. I agree 100%. Okay. Any more? We're good? Well, okay. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And, and Mama is always going to be around a little bit. If you've got questions you want to come up, please do. And say hello to each other. Say the person next to you, if you've never met them, say hello. And we'll do it all again in the third week of January. So follow us. The theme in January is surreal. Nice. So uh, that should be kind of kind of cool. Do we get shrimp. Oh yeah, yep, yep. Sorry. Blue or red? Blue or red? Blue. Blue. Thank you, Maha. Thank you very oh much. Oh my God! Thank you. So this is the uh, I know this is your box. box yes. Exactly. And uh, I have a small, a very small announcement, and I hope uh, uh, some of you will will uh, support me in this thing. So uh, this is a, a monthly subscription box for people in the workforce who want to continue. <laughs> <laughs> who want to? I love it. Uh, continuously inspire themselves and think in different ways. Like it's a creative thinking in wrapping paper sort of thing. And I do have an online campaign that is only for one month long. So it's like uh, maybe it will be done by the next time. And I hope that you can check it out, see what it is about, read the story. And if you think it will help you or help anyone else that you know, um, please support. And you have my full... It's on LaunchGood, right? It's on launchgood.com. Uh, uh, slash imagines by Sajuri. I think I can oh, I can put it on uh, on online here so you can see at least the address. So launchgood.com slash uh, you can look at the different projects and it's imagines from imagining happiness. Imagines by Sajuri. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming. Thank uh, you, Randa. I love it. Good. I hope you like it. I, I love the, the, the song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> my, um, my husband's painting. Oh, wow. You've been listening to the Creative Mornings Dubai podcast with Maha Al Kalawi. You want to find out more about what's going on at Creative Mornings? www.creativemornings.com or Google Creative Mornings Dubai to find our chapter. Thank you very much for listening. And of course, follow us on all the socials, CM underscore Dubai.